and mention that uh, after church tonight, any of you that want to, we're going to make an exotic culinary field trip to Wendy's, and uh, welcome to join us just down here at Campbell and Speedway, um, but gives us a chance to talk a little more than we have here, so love to have you join us there. Um, we're going to be at Revelation chapter 3 tonight, if you have a Bible with you, or you can follow along the same text as in your bulletin. I try to think of metaphors for the new church plant that kind of help you uh, have an imaginative uh, grip on what we're doing here. And lately the one that's appealed to me is the uh, Einstein-Rosen bridge. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. Like, who is going to know what that is? Um, Darren Williams was my first guess. So uh, you might know it as a Stargate. Right, uh, from the movie or the television series, the Stargate. It's this uh, science fiction notion of a portal uh, between dimensions and times and spaces through which you can travel without being harmed much uh, to great distances and for, you know, faraway galaxies. It's fantastic for a uh, dramatic episode of TV show because you don't have to get people there. You don't have to make the ships work. You just go through the Stargate and now you're in your new setting. And so... The, uh, the Einstein-Rosen bridge idea, though, and the metaphor is going to break down really fast, so just go with me because I'm a preacher, uh, you know, is uh, the idea of the church is a portal, a stargate into Jesus' kingdom. It's a place where people come in to know him, uh, where they find peace with God again, and then they're brought into this new world that he's making that isn't here yet, but is coming. And you have this sort of advanced experience of that across time and dimension of the future. So new relationship with God and a participation in what's happening in the future. And the church is meant to be that. right? We're uh, an open doorway for people who come to find hope in Jesus Christ. That's part of what we're put here to do. And when we read these letters in the book of Revelation, the, the drill is basically to read this and say this is either a cautionary tale or a hopeful example of what we can be as a church. And again, since we're a young church, we haven't messed anything up too badly yet, we hope. And so this can just be aspirational for us. Uh, but I'd love for us to have both the self-understanding and the actual experience of uh, seeing people come through the door into a new relationship with Jesus Christ in this place. It's part of the fun of starting a new church is get to see new people coming in and that's what we want to be that's what the letter to philadelphia said their church uh, had the opportunity to be as well so let me pray for us and then we'll read this passage father we ask that you would come and open our eyes and hearts to you as we listen to your word and that you would hear our prayers that we would be a portal for people coming into your kingdom in this place uh, our friends the connections we have in this community and this church as a whole um we would love to see you do that and ask that you would do whatever it is you need to do in us to make that happen. So come speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Read with me, beginning at verse 7 of Revelation 3. It says, unto the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. 
And behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that's coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And this is the word of the Lord. You've probably sung about the key of David before uh, with greater or lesser understanding, but it's in one of our Christmas songs, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. O come, thou key of David, come and open wide our heavenly home, make safe the way that leads on high, and close the door to misery. We read the Old Testament reference for the key of David, uh, who was Elkiah, a priest, uh, who basically was given the keys to the temple, opening and closing, opening it to anyone who would come in, closing it to other people. And opening and closing God's house, which was given then to Peter, if you remember. If you don't remember, it's okay. Um, Peter the Apostle, Jesus said, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you open on earth is open in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. Uh, This idea that God expects his church to be a portal for people coming in, and he gives his church authority to open heaven to people. Uh, As dramatic as that sounds. Uh, We declare that what Jesus did has enabled you to come home to God and be reconciled to Him, to have your enmity against Him ended so that you're at peace with Him and that you're guaranteed a new future in the world that He's fixing. So um, that's what the church gets to experience being, is this portal for people who are coming in. The door that He says here, though, that He's opened, that nobody can shut, uh, has two senses, really. First, it's the door we ourselves go through go in to be right with God. But then it's a door uh, through which we invite other people. And so that's the main part of what we're going to look at. But briefly, let's talk about what it means to enter through the door ourselves because it's what we're inviting other people to as well. All right. So um, two times he says he's going to open a door that no one can shut. Uh, That is access to God that can't be denied anymore. And the way this door is open is that Jesus has come. He's lived and died. You remember the whole temple... uh, was built sort of as a, a, a restrictive zone for people like us. If you read much about the sacrificial system, if you look at how the, how the temple was constructed, there's a lot of keep out signs in the temple. Don't trespass. You know, the Holy of Holies was guarded by this curtain that was supposed to be like a hand's breadth thick, a curtain that thick, uh, that guarded people from going and accept the high priest once a year because uh, we are not morally upright enough to go in it'd be a threat to us and then you got the court of the priests and then you got the court of the jewish men and the court of the women and the court of the gentiles all increasing exclusions uh keeping you away from the presence of god and so opening the door in the old testament involved the sacrificial system it involved uh, uh sacrifices being made on your behalf the priest would wear, stone, wear stones on his robes that represented the people and he would go in and But all of it was, you can't go in there. It's not even safe for you to go in there. This door is closed to you. And yet, all those sacrifices were promised that one day that door is going to be open. So when Jesus died 
in our place as the ultimate sacrifice. Do you remember what happened to the curtain? That hand-thick curtain? tore in two from the top to the bottom because now the door's open for us. Jesus has opened a door that can't be shut. Anyone who looks to Him for mercy now receives mercy, is made right with God again, comes home to God, and is assured a future with God. Right? This uh, new world that He's fixing, this broken world that He's setting back upright. And that's the hope we have. He says uh, in that, uh, verse 9, He says... Um, At the end of verse 9, he says, I'm going to make the people who have excluded you come and bow down at your feet as uh, converts is the the, um, imagery there. And he says, I will come and make them learn that you were right all along. Which is not what he says. He says, I'll I'll make them learn that I have loved you. So the people who come home through the gate of the open door that Jesus has opened find themselves loved by God. Not reluctantly welcomed in, but loved by Him. He says in verse 10 going on, He says, You've kept my word about patient endurance. I will keep you in your trials. I'll be your support now. I'll bring you home to me, uh, even though the road is a hard road to come home to me. And He says in verse 11, I'm going to come for you. Um, I'm coming soon, so hold fast. Hold on. I'm going to come for you. The promises I've made are real. Verse 12, He says, "Uh, I'm going to make you a pillar in my temple. Which is a very interesting kind of metaphor that uh, the pedestal of the temple temp, pillars stand for people in church architecture right? yeah, um, that's why these are uh, wrong <laughs> these are disproportionate they don't have pedestals and they're disproportionate to the human proportion right? um, don't tell I said that but you know if you're going to do it you know, make them right the uh, pedestals the feet the capitals the head the, the columns of body but they represent people uh, usually it's 12 in churches that pay attention to these kind of things, like the 12 apostles who are said they're going to be uh, the, the, they're going to be the uh, foot, I've lost my train of thought, the, the bottom piece of the column in the temple in the New Jerusalem. Right? Um, but all of us here, Christians, are said that we're going to have that kind of a role. And a, a pillar is a point of stability, a security, can't be moved. But it's also this huge vertical dimension that draws people from earth to heaven. And so people who live as pillars in God's home are involved in drawing people up between, from earth to heaven, from, from man to God. And so that kind of a role in his temple is what's guaranteed to us. But it's a place of real security. And who you are is really defined by this. He writes his name on you, the father's name, the son's name, the name of the, the city, the New Jerusalem which is where we're all headed. That's our future, right? Writes all this on the pedestal of the temple of the column. That's because that's your identity now. And when he wants us to go out to bring people through the door, to invite people to the door, to show people the door, um, it's out of the security that we go. He doesn't say, I want you to go out and serve me in the world, and if you do really well, uh, then you will earn my love and favor, and I will welcome you home. But he's saying, because you're secure in me, um, I want you to go out and take risks to uh, engage in other people's lives, lives that are unpredictable, that might feel messy, that might feel uh, like you're risking the possibility of rejection or humiliation. I want you to feel safe enough and secure enough for me to be able to go do that, uh, to have those conversations with other people. So that's kind of the second part. The one I really want to talk about the most is that this open door that he set before them is an opportunity. Right? That's how we use that phrase, right? They, there was an open door there, meaning that was an opportunity. You have an opportunity to invite new people into the kingdom. 
into a relationship with Jesus Christ and finding hope with Him. So that door, I don't know, my, my Stargate analogy broke down a while ago, but it's a little, though, like dimensionally like the Matrix. You can go back in on mission, right, even if you've been uh, brought out already. And Christians who've been brought into God's house are still living in the world and inviting other people to come in. So uh, church in Philadelphia is a, is a weird one for this, though, because they don't have any influence. He says, I know that you're weak. Uh, there aren't many of you. Someone said there are like between uh, 30 and 40 people in that church. I don't know how they know that. Um, it's impressive if it's true, right? But the point being that no matter how many there were, that Jesus knows they're weak. He doesn't say, you guys have a ton of potential. Um, you have a lot of influence. You're well-connected. And so I really think I can use you in the town of Philadelphia. Now he says, I know that you're weak. Uh, and I know you've been excluded from the synagogue and whatever... A place you had in town you've probably lost, but there's an open door before you that nobody can shut uh, because I'm bringing people to find hope in me. Um, you're going to be like a gateway for people coming in as new Christians. And it wasn't because of anything special in them. It's just that he's what he was doing. Even the people who had opposed them, the, um, the Jews who had rejected Jesus who lived in Philadelphia and who had apparently expelled these Christians from the synagogues, he said, even they're going to come, this bowing down at the feet is the language of conversion, that they're going to come uh, embracing Jesus eventually. And I, this may go without saying, I, I don't want to go without saying it, though. Um, this passage you, could be fuel if you read it uh, superficially for anti-Semitic uh, attitudes. And there's just no place for anti-Semitism in the Christian faith. Um, I, I'm sure you probably know that, but... Do you one of the uh, one of the women who was shot at the uh, temple in Philadelphia was 97 years old and was a Holocaust survivor, a Holocaust survivor that was uh, killed here, and uh, that's that's never okay for us. Our, our Savior is a Jew. Um, John, who's writing for him here, is a Jew. We, as Gentile believers, most of us are called wild olive branches grafted into the Jewish tree. We are the heirs of the promises to Abraham. Uh, we are, in the truest spiritual sense, Jews. Adopted in, but we are Jews. And so anti-Semitism is nonsensical for Christians. And I, I'm sure you know that, but it bears saying uh, on a week like this. But... The idea here is that people who've walked through the door and been rescued by Jesus are now turned out to point other people to Him. And I know that's pretty basic Christian stuff, but whenever the Bible talks about open doors, it talks this way. You know, Paul says, um, he and Barnabas came back for their first missionary trip. He said, God opened a big door for us of opportunity for the gospel. Later he says, he stayed in Ephesus because there was a door open for effective work in Ephesus by God for him there. And he prayed, asked the people in Colossae to pray, would you pray that God would open a door for us? Uh, to speak about the gospel, about the good news of Jesus. Uh, the Pharisees got in trouble, it says, because they didn't welcome people into the door, but they slammed the door in people's faces through their moralism and superiority. So the door is opportunity for us with people who are outside the faith, friends that we have that we know that are outside the faith. So, um, look, we're put on Jesus' mission in the world, and it involves more than just seeing people converted 
as new Christians, right? We're called to serve him in every part of life that he gives us, to work these jobs he's given us, to, to bring order out of chaos where he's put us everywhere from the cubicle you know, to the classroom, uh, to the crib. Wherever he's spread us around, serving him and seeking his kingdom is our role. It's our job. But our mission is never narrower than inviting new people into the kingdom. It's never narrower than looking for new people to convert to Christianity and to put their faith in Jesus and find hope in him. Uh, so the church, uh, it's kind of the central stream of our mission is to invite new believers in to put their faith in Jesus Christ. And we're all involved in that, together and individually. So what that means is if there's a door uh, set open before us which no one's able to shut, is that all of us need to be public about our faith and whatever shape that takes for you. Um, some of you may not like to talk about your faith at all with people who aren't uh, already convinced Christians, but you're called to do that. Um, there are baby steps you can take. I mean, you could tell people that you go to church. <laughs> That's a low bar, but you know, honestly, that'd be a little awkward in some circumstances that you're in, wouldn't it? Um, but just to mention it, throw it out there that you go to church. That maybe maybe that'd be a good step for you with this, with some of the people you work with, your neighbors, um, or having conversations with people where you. Uh, think about somebody else for a little while and ask them what they believe and what's going on in their lives and think about what it would mean for them to have hope in Jesus Christ. Uh, if you listen to people and take care of them and love them, opportunities seem to arise to talk about your hope. So think about that. I, I want us, this isn't a Bible rule or anything, but I want us to be a church where everybody that's a regular part of this church has a list of three people. You can have a longer list if you want, but a list of three people that you're just regularly going to pray for who aren't Christians yet. And uh, like when we come to our prayers of the people and we pray for those who don't yet know uh, Jesus Christ, that we're going to pray for those people first and then you can add on to it. But um, three people, you think you, could, you think you could come up with that and remember it? You could write it on a card if it would help you. Um, and I'll tell you, if you'll mention your three people to me, I'll pray with you for them. I'll promise you that. Um, but just to be a group of people who has a sense of expectancy, saying, I, I want God to work this way. I want this to be a portal for people coming into the kingdom. And I'm asking for these three. Um, I think we could do that. That wouldn't be too hard to do. The other thing I think we have to do, living where we live, is to be a church that's hospitable. And church is always called to be hospitable, but we live in a very isolated place socially uh, where people lack community even more than in other parts of individualistic America. And for us to live here as Jesus' agents, the doors to our apartments and homes probably need to uh, be open to new people. So who's at your dinner table? Who comes into your house? Uh, who knows their way around your house? Who, who knows where the bathroom is in your house without having to be told? And that needs to be more than just other Christians. So your front door and the door over here where people come into the church need to be places that are portals for people who aren't yet Christians to come in and come into contact with God's people and hopefully come to faith in Jesus. You know that's, that's part of the Christian gig, right? But it, it's hard for every Christian. I don't know any Christians for whom that's not hard. And I don't know all the reasons... I guess you don't want to be humiliated or be rejected. I don't want to be humiliated or be rejected. But uh, um, 
You know, the idea that we're pillars in the temple and that the nations are going to know that Jesus has loved us is supposed to make us secure enough not to be so afraid. That we're okay with him. What we might lose even by taking a risk or two here and there is nothing compared to what we gain in knowing him. Um, Some of you aren't afraid. You just think you're a terrible Christian and like the enterprise would have a better reputation if you just laid low and didn't say anything. (laughs) It's probably a case to be made. But if you think that way, you're probably overestimating yourself and how much it matters who you are in this process. Jesus didn't say, I'm holding a door open before you, which you better not shut. He says, I'm holding a door open in front of you that no one can shut. Um, I can get people into my kingdom. (laughs) I can use you. I'm not under any illusions about who you are or what a fantastic Christian you are. But someone said it this way. It wasn't really flattering. But they said, look, if you live in a dark enough place, you know, even a dim bulb gives light. (laughs) So (laughs) qualifies a dark place. I've never been really comfortable with uh, seeing sports, sports people talk about Jesus when they're interviewed. I'm usually proud of them for it, but I'm always left uneasy about it. And there are kind of two versions of it, though, that I see. One's the Tim Tebow version. You know who he is, uh, the football player who made a really poor life decision and went to the University of Florida. <laughs> and, uh, but is a notoriously good Christian, right? He's a very uh, upright person and has a fantastic reputation uh, by all accounts. The other one is Bubba Watson. And this is a golfer from Georgia who is one of the least liked players uh, on the professional tour, and he knows it and uh, talks about it. Uh, the Tim Tebow thing is, I want to just tell everyone that Jesus gets credit for making me so awesome. And that's a good thing, right? I'm glad when he says that. I'm glad he is awesome, and I'm glad Jesus made him awesome. And that's good. What Bubba says is, yeah, I'm a Christian because if anybody needs Jesus, I do. <laughs> and I think, I like Bubba's talk better, right? <laughs> if you're going to say something after, after you win... You know, say that. Say, I'm a screw-up, and Jesus is merciful to people like me, and uh, Lord knows I need it. You all know I need it, but how about him for loving somebody like me? So I'm going to just say, if you think you're not a good enough Christian to talk to other people about your faith, uh, take Bubba for your example, right? (laughs) Uh, If nothing else. I mean, that's really what we are witnesses to in the world is that God is merciful to people like us, not that we're awesome because we're connected to him. So be encouraged by that. And know that in as much as he had done this in Philadelphia, God has done this here in Midtown. He's opened the door no one can close. He's going to bring people into his family, into his faith. And uh, for us to take a couple of risks and be involved in that uh, is only our benefit and pleasure. So a lot of architecture in this, in this letter, a lot of architectural notions about... Uh, Doors and pillars and this new, newly created city. Um, it's, un, it's unsurprising when the churches set out to build church buildings back in the day when the church tried to be theological about their church buildings that they took a lot of these things into account. Right? Like we're going to try to put on display um, what the Christian gospel is. Just like we do through our worship service, we try to, this is the good news about Jesus on display. Um, the architecture did that too in classic church architecture. Uh, the idea was to put on display the new creation so that when you walk in like into a, 
Fifth Avenue Press off of Fifth Avenue in Manhattan, you walk out of the center of commerce into another world, right? And it, it's heavenly looking deliberately uh, because it's supposed to put on display the new creation, the new Jerusalem come out down out of heaven. And so you'll see a lot of uh, homage to this. There are uh, stained glass windows that don't show the outside world. Right? They show light coming through what look like gemstones because the new creation is supposed to be walled with gems, right? Um, and they don't show the beautiful city around them, even though I'm sure there's some great views to be had because they're not putting on display the world as it is because that world has fallen. They're putting on display the new creation, the world that's going to be. And you have um, saints often in statues around the top, if that's, if that's okay. Um, but they're not... Uh, to look lifelike, look, they look um, glorified. They look like who we are after the resurrection. To remind us that when we come into worship, we worship with the saints who've gone on before us. Right? You see um, a lot of angels. You see palm trees and vines which represent the rene renewed garden. And all these ideas are there to make you think this is the new creation. You're walking through a portal into another world when you walk into the church. And when you walk out of Fifth Avenue Press, out onto Fifth Avenue, you realize that you have re-entered a different world, right? It's a pretty striking accomplishment in terms of architecture. The uh, doors in churches that think this way are huge, large open doors, uh, because the church is meant to be the portal into Jesus' kingdom. You're welcome to come in. These are doors that no one can shut. Uh, the promise of refuge, the promise of sanctuary there. And then pillars in the temple. A big part of cathedrals, church architecture, are these pillars that, that rise up with huge, you know, large, stable sensibilities that you see when you come in, but that draw your mind up from earth to heaven. Um, and these are ideas about what the church is supposed to be that doesn't form the architecture. There aren't, there aren't any architectural rules in the Bible, I don't think. I think there are arguments to be made. But... What they're trying to do in the architecture is to represent the hope of the gospel. Is that, look, here's a door through to the place that you were always made to live. This is a door home for you. This is a door back to God for you. And you're welcome here. And you have a place here. And we want you here. And that's what the church, in its organic sense, is supposed to be. Right? We're supposed to be this portal, this stargate, where when people come in here, they see a foretaste of the new world. They see people who are... Uh, having friendships across racial boundaries and across economic boundaries. They see people who forgive each other and who don't hold grudges forever. People who uh, love each other when they don't have anything to offer each other. The picture of the new kingdom that is here. And the door is open. And when people come in here, it's what we want them to feel. God wants them back home. And they're welcome to come back home. And you can get there from here. So... Do you want that for a church, or do you want a church that agrees with you theologically that's comfortable? It's not probably not an either-or, but um, I want that. Right? That's a big part of the reason we moved out here, is my hope that God would do that for us. He'd make us a stargate in Midtown, and let us see people coming in and finding hope in Jesus Christ. Um, so get a list of three people. Right? That's, I, don't, I don't usually get accused of being practical in sermons. There you go. Make a list of three people that you're going to pray for regularly. 
and, uh, and then invite people into your home, into your church, through the door to know Jesus. Ask Him to make us a stargate, a place where many people come through the door, home to Jesus for the first time. Let's pray.